Welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. Giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey everyone, this is Season 5, Episode number 9 of the Performance Nutrition Podcast, and we've got a great episode for you today. Dr. Sam Impey, PhD, sports scientist at Team Bike Exchange, supporting pro cyclists through Tour de France's, Hero d'Italia's, Vuelta de España's, and everything in between, as well as being the co-founder of the nutrition app Hexus, is on the podcast. And he's here alongside one of his colleagues, performance chef Nikki Strobel, who works closely with Sam at Team Bike Exchange to fuel pro cyclists. In this episode, Sam and Nikki are going to share their insights into fueling elite endurance athletes, as well as the art of the practice, the challenges, the nuances, like potatoes rolling off the table in your travel van, of working on the front lines of performance. This episode is brought to you by Athlete Evolution, performance nutrition education for strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, and practitioners looking to level up their performance nutrition game so you can make the biggest impact with your athletes and clients. The Foundation's course in performance nutrition, an opportunity to expand your expert generalist skill set, kicks off November 1st. We've got five great guest speakers lined up, new course content and live roundtables as well. So if you want to grab the early bird special and save 50% off, head over to athleteevolution.org. That's athleteevolution.org. Use the promo code FOUNDATION and you'll receive that 50% off the upcoming course. Awesome. Let's do this. Season 5, episode number 9 with Dr. Sam Impey and Nikki Strobel. Enjoy. Sam and Nikki, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time today. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Good, good chat. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, listen, I'm, I'm really excited to be diving into this topic here today. But before we do, why don't you give uh, listeners and viewers a little whirlwind tour of your backgrounds, and then we can dive into things. Nikki, you go, you go first, mate. Yep. Uh, yep. So uh, my name is Nikki. I'm a trained chef and been working in cycling for the past 10, 11 years now. Um, sort of my journey has been that I started out as a chef and got interested into the nutrition side of things. So started a bachelor's in nutrition, uh, finished that a few years ago, and I'm now doing a master's in uh, public health. So still nutrition related. Uh, I haven't been able to do any courses in sports nutrition. It's not really something they do in, in Denmark and Norway where I'm located. So everything has been more the clinical side of nutrition. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm Sam Impey, um, based in the UK. Um, yeah, did uh, my kind of backgrounds academia, um, uh, particularly, uh, I guess, my PhD was around carbohydrate periodization. Um, and yeah, I guess that fuel for the work required mantra, um, mm-hmm. I think is going to be on my gravestone at this stage. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been um, kind of working in cycling um, for about five or six years at, at different levels um, and, and Nikki and I have been working together at uh, what was Mitchelton Scott and, and now Bike Exchange uh, for the last three years. Awesome yeah well if folks are interested uh, you know we had uh, Sam on in the earlier season season three of the podcast talking all about that uh, fuel for the work required and you know in today's episode I'd love to dive into the tour that just passed and and 
you know, you guys supporting the team, you know, maybe Sam will, will kick it off with yourself in terms of just the buildup to a tour, you know, what, what's going into obviously the tremendous amount of planning with the whole team, but for yourself, what are some of the things that you're thinking about to be able to get the, uh, the athletes, the riders ready to, uh, to perform their best? Yeah, geez, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, I guess there's probably two parts to it. Um, I guess sort of a, a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a kind of academic and, and thought process part, and then a bit of a kind of operational part to it. So, um, I guess it's kind of the, the sort of, the sort of thought process as, as I would approach it is kind of looking at, at where the athletes are in terms of, um, you know, like what, what races have they come off? What kind of training load have they come off? Um, it's really important to get the, the coach's opinion in terms of like where they are and, and, and what sort of things they need to work on, um, you know, in that, in this kind of final period or how much rest they're going to be having. Um, and just sort of looking at, at, yeah, what their what their preload is going into the going into the tour. So, um, and kind of once you once you've had those discussions, then then it's pretty easy to um, kind of identify what, what someone's kind of maybe one, maybe two sort of key points are um, yep. work on, um, and then you just kind of integrate that around a lot of the sort of basic stuff that that our coaches um, do very very well, which um, you know something that that Nikki and I have been been developing for a while. So. Um, kind of encouraging that uh, kind of gut training piece in that last few weeks in the build-up, um, build-up to the tour. So using the products and race foods that are going to be at the tour kind of in increasing quantities in training um, just for that, that bit of gut training. Um, also, if we need to do any sort of final manipulations in terms of like body composition or, um, you know, that, that tends to happen ideally sort of eight six six minimum but ideally eight maybe even ten weeks out um probably around some of the the pre pre-tour camps and and races that, that were going on so um for, for me that's that's kind of how i'd approach it um from a sort of thought thinking it out and mapping it out um in terms of making that operational um and actually sam right. if, if we pause there just quickly yeah uh, on sure. that note for um you know, for practitioners or listeners who aren't as familiar, how many athletes, riders are we talking about in a team? And could you maybe just circle back to that gut training and, and what's, you know, what's going on there for, again, people who aren't as familiar? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the tour squad is eight. That is right, isn't it, Nikki? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hang on. Yeah, no, it is eight. Um, yeah, so it'd be eight riders. Um, and uh, so they'd all have quite, um, quite often they, you wouldn't necessarily get all eight at the same races and camps in the build-up yep. it depends on how the race program is operating so you, you'd normally try and you'd normally be you'd have two three maybe four of them um, at the same camp or, or in in the same race block um, kind of in the build-up to the tour that that's how we operate it, it's probably, it could be different in, in different teams but it's it's good to get the it's good for the climbers to work together it's good for the engine room guys to work together um in in the build-up um gotcha. and so yeah so so from that perspective um around the, the gut training thing and um, how how we certainly operate is that um you kind of in i guess general training as, as much as there is of that in in a cycling season you kind of leave the guys to it give them some recommendations around total amounts so um you know like if you want to work on a on a training short shorter training ride maybe it's 30 grams an hour for, you know, those sort of three, maybe four hour rides. 
maybe when you get up to the four, five, six hour rides, you kind of slide up the scale to maybe it's 40, maybe it's 50 grams an hour in, in sort of general training in, in terms of carbohydrate intake on bike and, and how people achieve that's kind of down to them. Maybe it's, it actually kind of works out because they'd stop and have lunch or they'd have just, you know, buy a sports drink from a garage on the side of the road or if, if they didn't, if they didn't want to have, um, you know, if they didn't want to be constantly using the sort of race specific um, uh, products and stuff that, you know, that we have for the team. So, and then, yeah, in that, to, to accommodate that sort of gut training piece as, as we get into that more sort of crucial time period, um, particularly in that sort of heaviest two weeks of training prior to a taper. Um, if that happens to be a race, then that, then that's also that's also great. Um, is just really ramp up or encourage the increased use of the the race specific foods, um, race specific drinks, um, and and increasing those quantities on bike so that ideally you get a couple of sessions. Um, excuse me, at certainly at um, you know like a full race replication, um, so ninety grams an hour plus. Um, carbohydrates for you know a good four or five hours um, just to you know just to really get the the sort of um, yeah get that that whole process of uh, repetition of, of eating processing digesting and, and doing that under high stress high load but I don't know if Nikki if you if you have any other any other thoughts on that sorry well, Nikki, that, that's my dog that we're trying to train yeah, nice nice <laughs> No, I think you sort of covered everything pretty well there, Sam. Um, obviously, um, I'm there for camps and races leading up to it. So a lot of the times we try to really mimic what we'll do in, uh, in, in the bigger races. So if we're at a camp, then we'll try to have the same foods and stuff like that. That would normally be at the race just to sort of get into that whole routine with, with the different foods and keeping it similar throughout the period. It's it's something that sorry, Mark. I was just going to say it's something that we yeah we we certainly have have uh, have pushed more to now is is trying where possible to have one of one of the one of the team chefs at, at all the camps the altitude camps that we do for example exactly as Nikki said just because it's you're sort of adding on another layer of consistency um, yeah. the chefs have styles of food and and so you just they kind of you know you get, the guys get used to that in in a training training specific setting as well as, as into a race specific setting. Yeah. I mean, it's tremendous. And one of the things that jumped out when you guys were in the tour, Sam, was when you, you sent out a tweet, I think it was around the amount of, you know, grams per kilo for a, a day and, and we're getting up to what it was 11, 12, 13. So I imagine to, to hit some of those totals, you obviously need some of those sports specific formulas, but I imagine Nikki as the chef, that becomes pretty critical too, of thinking how we're going to get to these totals. So can you guys walk us through, you know, what are some of the, the changes? What are some of the things that are being implemented to be able to achieve those high loads? Because it's a, it's a full-time job, isn't it? Trying to hit those t totals. Yeah. So the, the, the average for the first, uh, for the first block of racing up until the first rest day, I think the average, average intake was 13 grams per kilo per day. Um, there was a time trial in that as well, where the guys were down at about six gram per kilo per day. Um, and equally there was some, uh, there was a, so I think the 250k stage and one of the big mountain stages was also in there where they got up as high as 18 grams per kilo per day. Wow. Um, so yeah, so that that kind of the 13 was about was about the average there across the as you say you know as you were exactly right in saying across that across that first block. So um, 
yeah that's it's a it's a monumental amount of food you're you're up into the kilos of like one point something kilos of of carbohydrate not not food just just carbohydrate um across the day for that yeah so how do we get that into i mean obviously riders to that level are somewhat accustomed to it or very accustomed to it but i mean everybody else listening in or supporting athletes is trying to figure out how would i get somebody to that level so you know nikki with working with the athletes on your side you know what what are the changes in the food front is it meal frequency or there's various things that go into to being able to hit those totals um yeah, it's 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 a lot of food, like you said. I think one of the days we calculated, like it was the equivalent of eating five kilos of cooked pasta. Um, so it's it's one of those things you really need to think about the the um, energy density of the food that you're serving. So on the, those big days, you know, it's it's a lot of pasta, it's a lot of bread, and the, even like some sugary drinks and stuff like that at the meal times, smoothies, anything that you know, sort of helps keep the quantity of food down, um, especially towards the back end of a, of a grand tour where like they're tired of pedaling their bikes. Tired of pedaling and tired of eating. <laughs> they're tired of eating. Um, so you just get to a point where they're just like, there's no enjoyment in actually eating the food. It's more like they're just forcing it down. So at that point, it's, it's critical to try and come up with something that can sort of spark their interest in the food and get them to eat, drink more. Um, and on those big days, it's, it's a lot of the times, you know, uh, sweet things, drinks, um, those type of things that sort of helps get the total carbon take up to, to the level that they need. I mean, it's, it's really split over. It's actually two meals per se in the day. That's, that's the, I think the thing that, that is often challenging is that the actual physical meals are only breakfast and dinner. Where yeah. the guys will sit down at a table and you know and, and eat eat some eat a meal as as you kind of conceptualize yeah. it. But, um, we also have like recovery protocols on the bus, so um, like the chefs will prepare you know um, prepare recovery foods, um, uh, which you know we kind of we standardize just to help the guys hit hit some of the the carb recommendation targets for like after after race. Um, and so you're actually looking at yeah just two kind of enormous enormous meals um, the the recovery uh, recovery period which is is super super important we, we we place a real high value on those first two hours after um after the race um but equally then when you kind of when you think about it it's actually to to reach an energy balance it it shows how important hitting a good amount of carbohydrate on the bike is because actually like you could get to 50% of your carbohydrate intake for the day on the bike. Um, and, and so that's where that kind of, that's the, the sort of next step on from that, that gut training piece. So like if you're, if someone really massively underfuels on the bike, or doesn't hit a, a good on bike total, the logistical challenge of getting close to an energy balance for the day is have to catch up, right? Exactly. You can't imagine. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we really saw that in the in the Giro this year with um, especially one of our riders who didn't eat enough on the bike in those like big Giro days. And he ended up having to eat, I think it was like a kilo and a half of pasta plus 200 grams of bread plus dessert for dinner. Yeah. So that, that really shows um, the importance of eating over the whole day and just making sure that you get enough on the bike. Um, otherwise, you're stuck with a lot of food that you need to eat. At dinner. 
and and trying to go to trying to go to bed and sleep well after uh, after that kind of meal yeah when you're rolling up the stairs is it, yeah is, is challenging so it's a lot it, of a lot of american football players and rugby players listening in going hey geez i would love that challenge but uh yeah. so, so you talk about those first couple of hours post training or post race you know what are some of those strategies then on the bus or what might that look like from some of those meals maybe it's over to nikki around the things that we're implementing to be able to get that fuel in to help that recovery in those key first few hours yeah, mate, you go, you go. Yeah, um, so on, on the bus, um, a lot of the times it's also about keeping uh, quantity down because uh, appetite is not the, the biggest just after the race. High, so right, yeah. one of the things that Sam brought into the team and a lot of riders really like him for that is uh, Haribo. <laughs> nice, so uh, on, on the bus after the race, uh, a lot of the times, you know, it's uh, the first hour where they're just coming off the bike. It's a lot of, um, you know, very dense food so hairy balls uh, soft drinks and stuff like that and then in the second hour we lean towards uh, real food so then it's more rice pasta um, bread and, and those types of foods uh, just to give something that also fills up the stomach a bit yeah it is amazing how you can get 100 grams of carbs in pretty easily and quickly with uh haribo jelly babies couple sodas yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so and, and yeah just a bit of a like it, whilst that stuff's still sweet, it's not uh, like the flavor profile's different to yeah. like what they've had, what they've been going through all day. So it's just that, like it's a bit of contrast in there as well. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, th there was definitely a management piece uh, when when we sort of started doing that. <laughs> you know, you get everybody wants Haribo all day long. It's now. literally like, yeah, like rip open a family bag and <laughs> just like straight arm pouring it down the neck. You like. Easy, easy guys. You, you portion those out for the for the athletes, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. So, or you find a find a small bag that is, uh, you know, fits fits pretty well for a for a portion size. Yeah, and 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 chef, what are some of the solid foods then that you might get into? Imagine you're still on the bus that would the guys would then go for after having that quick fuel immediately well, post. On on the bus, we're sort of limited to what we can pre-cook and reheat yeah. in a microwave so most of the times it will be a uh, pasta that's pre-cooked and then they have you know sauces on the side that can add to it uh, heat it in a microwave and eat it so it's pasta rice uh, there'll be some sandwiches um, different fruits and, and yogurts uh, just to get some some extra protein in uh, and there's obviously also protein shakes uh, some of the riders like to have you know tuna with their pasta so there's there's those things so it's on, on the bus, it's more about being practical rather than having, you know, a big selection. And, Michelin meals for later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it just, and also you have to consider like you need to be able to eat it while driving. Um, and yeah. so I worked with riders before who wanted boiled potatoes, but it was just sort of a problem. They're rolling all over the plate and, and stuff like that. So on, on the bus, it, it has to be very practical and it has to be something that, you know, can easily be managed by people on the bus while they're driving. Um, yeah, it's interesting, the little, the subtleties of uh, rolling potatoes, derailing things. And uh, what about some of those flavor profiles? I mean, obviously that's key when we're talking about going from sweet to salty and these different flavors that can help the brain to, to, to stay hungry and not to, not to achieve that level of satiation where, you know, it's, it's natural, as you said, at the end of a tour, it's tough to eat. But as you switch those over, I imagine you're able to stimulate the appetite a little bit. Can you walk us through some of the different strategies that you might have to do that? Yeah. So in, in a grand tour, you know, like with the, 
with the meals and stuff, we sort of, you know, have those favorites that all of the riders really like and crave. So we try to put those towards the end of a grand tour uh, and then keep it a bit more plain, boring at the start, if, if you want nice. to call it that. Nice. And then, you know, leading uh, them with the carrot towards the end of the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, whenever you cook spaghetti bolognese, it's it's just always a, a big hit with the with the guys. So, you know, you save those towards the end and uh, try to, you know, keep them motivated to eating by bringing out some some favorites. Um, we, yeah. we have a pretty good uh, there's a there's quite a decent curry culture in, uh, yeah. in our team. So nice. They have a good butter chicken or a, a tikka masala or something for that. That generally gets gets the guys pretty happy, pretty stoked. Awesome, awesome. And 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 Sam, I mean, before I cut you off there on the operations side, I'm sure we've touched on pieces of it. Maybe, maybe we could circle back to that around all those logistics or some of the main factors there that you've got to consider to to be able to achieve all this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the I guess the 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 real like uh, the, the guys who make this happen is isn't me i think that needs to be the first uh, you know like the value of having um talented chefs um people who have a kind of a good deep like a deep knowledge in the sports as well as nutrition and food um is is absolutely invaluable so um I don't know if we can cut Nicky off while I'm saying this. I don't want him to don't want his um, but yeah, the, the value of having like really genuinely incredible chefs just just makes makes my job so much easier. So we have Nikki and, and Sean, um, to the other chef, uh, you know, who joined our team um, last or two years ago. Um, again, great, great guy, um, American background living in Spain and has just really you know engaged in our process um and you know been really keen to to learn what what we do so the, the value of having incredible chefs is i i really can't can't highlight enough so um yeah that that's that's a big one and um then the second one would be the the, the at race staff so the swan years um and the carers and stuff who who again just just do the little bits and pieces of, of the logistics and, and stuff that actually make, make all this stuff operational. So, um, you know, again, they, they work relentlessly when they're at races, it's, it's exhausting watching them, um, do their thing. So, you know, again, I think, you know, we have a, we have a very culturally diverse group of staff, um, which is cool that, that actually is, uh, brings its own innovation as, as well as bringing its own challenges, which is, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think those those two pieces, you know, again, I, I can't can't highlight um, highlight enough. And and from my end, I guess it's just um, trying to give uh, trying to distill down nutritional goals into the most simple way you can convey them. Um, so, like for the recovery protocol, for example, I think the, the first thing I when I joined the team, the first thing I showed Nikki was like super complex and like there were multiple moving parts and we'd like break it up into weight categories and like we've actually just uh, you know from from making stuff making stuff operational we've just like really paired it back to like a super simple message so it's like first two hours 1.5 gram per kilo carbs uh 20 to have some protein in the second hour like 20 to 40 grams like that's it you're done like, yeah. that, you know, like keep it super super simple um uh, that that was probably the biggest challenge for me is actually 
wanting to you know you get in and you get excited and oh, yeah, exactly and doing this getting and that, that gold and standard of this is exactly yeah, what we're going to do and like, then the real life's in there and wait a minute we got to find that exactly yeah and then you, you you know you give it to so i've written it out and I, i've done something and i hand it to a, a, a non uh, someone whose english isn't isn't their first language um you know, <laughs> and they're like cool thanks <laughs> all right <laughs> what, what do you want me to do with this yeah yeah precisely and and that's like, you know wait a minute yeah and it's it's no reflection on them like they're they're already busy and i'm giving them something to interpret or work and that's you know that's that's for me to actually look at and go okay what's what's the best way i can deliver this message or how can i get on the ground and, and sh you know show people how to how to implement stuff and that when you when you do that and communicate well that's when that's when things work better it's interesting how even having different nationalities almost makes that so crystal clear where sometimes when everyone's speaking the same language, you might get a lot of head nodding and acting as if someone understands that and they can implement it versus some of those other situations where it's just crystal clear off the bat that, hey, this is, we've got to figure out the way in between here because this person, you know, is not, is not taking this on board. And yeah, know. exactly. And like credit to all the staff we've got, because my ability to i can barely speak english so learning spanish or italian is not going to be um yeah. it's just a struggle for me massively 100 percent. and yeah if we shift gears here a little bit sam and talk about some of that carbohydrate periodization you know how much of this is happening in the build-up to a tour how much is happening you know stage to stage can you walk us through a little bit of that yeah uh in the build-up i guess the the focus would be around um uh, Nikki and I have both done a lot of work with the coaches uh, in giving them the tools to prescribe uh, a function of dietary periodization along with their, their training. So um, most of the coaches uh, have kind of complete autonomy now around how they add nutritional stress onto their training. And sometimes we'll just check in to go, is today a good night good day to do fasted rides can we do some high carb rides can we do some you know uh longer duration so you actually kind of get into real low glycogen at the back end mm -hmm. um, you they'll, they'll sometimes check in with the specifics but um yeah we nikki and i have both done a, a decent block of work with with giving the coaches the the autonomy to do that so they they tend to prescribe um carbohydrate or energy periodization around certain blocks of training um, obviously when intensity ramps up and duration or race specific training ramps up we tend to just yeah not not create too much deficit there if we can um, you know try and create energy deficits earlier on in the training block for, for body composition goals um, and then when it gets to racing um, I guess it's kind of if we if we think about those as i say that first week where we had between six and, and 18 gram per kilo um per day carb requirements um that that kind of comes down to some of the stuff nikki was talking about about varying the density of foods for volume so mm -hmm. um once the guys get used to processing heaps of food like a, a like a just a physically large amount of food if you then give them a small amount of food they're like I'm absolutely starving here. Like what, you know, even though they're, they might be at energy balance or, you know, in, in excess of their calorie needs for the day, but the, the body just gets so used to processing food that quickly um, that they, they end up just being completely starving. So, um, you know, Nikki can attest more to how you, some of the manipulations of the, the actual foods that, that would go on. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Nikki, those mornings where it's a fasted ride must be pretty nice. You just making coffee for the boys or what? Um, well, pretty much. I, I, when, when we're at training camps, you know, a lot of the guys, they will actually, if they do, you know, fasted rides in the morning, I won't see them. You know, it's an easy morning for me. Nice. Uh, but it just means that. Not too many of those, though, right? <laughs> there's not too many of those, but it just means that, you know, lunch is often a bit more complicated so you sort of move your focus from from the breakfast towards you know getting the recovery done really well after after a fasted ride and uh, sort of to try and get them close to energy balance again you know when when they start off their morning fasted it just means that they have to catch up later in the day somehow or over the next few days um so this this always you know a balance and it's a it's a teamwork between you know sam and myself or sam and one of the other chefs who are at camp uh, just that communication like what are we trying to achieve uh, how do we best achieve it you know is it okay to be in a big deficit today and then sort of catch up over the next few days that are going to be easier so that's one of the things that really that sam really brought to the team when he first arrived like 3 years ago that whole teamwork between chefs coaches and himself so everyone is sort of you know always pitching in with their ideas and what what is the plan for the next few days then sam can give recommendations i can adjust the food to try and match that so it's that balance awesome. between the group that just always uh, always helps out yeah it's amazing when everyone can start speaking a bit of the same language even if the coaches aren't the performance nutritionist or the chef but they understand what sam's doing they understand what you're doing now all of a sudden they're taking it on board and they can the, you know, that intuition and that coach's eye can start to lead to some suggestions. And so that's, that's really, you know, fantastic work. And if we shift gears to talk body composition around this idea of periodization now leading into it, Nikki, what are some of the things that you're doing? If you do have an athlete and of course, Sam as well, certain rider, we need to get leaner, other riders you're trying to maintain weight. Uh, you know, how, how do you keep in track of all this and what are some of the strategies to help achieve that? Um, on, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, we obviously adjust the food to try and match the, the energy needs for that day. So easier days, we'll go less dense food. Um, and on, on harder days, we'll go more food, um, more like calorie dense foods. Um, and then uh, Sam and I have made this sort of system to give the riders recommendations on what they need for their to hit their daily targets uh, calorie wise. Um, so we use that system to sort of Give them recommendations on the food but we also lean towards that we try to educate riders rather than give them prescriptions so mm. we sort of make an effort to actually educate them into why are we doing this why should we eat this today instead of something else so we don't end up with a bunch of robots who only rely on you guys to make yeah, every decision exactly. like ideally we want the riders to be able to handle it themselves and then we're just there for support um you know so, sometimes we have writers that need a bit more support than others but that's sort of the whole philosophy behind it and what we're trying to achieve uh, so when we're trying to achieve those body compositions with different writers at camp um, we would normally give them different recommendations everyone have the same meal served like buffet style and then each writer get their individual recommendations to try and, and match their needs uh, they would normally train together so energy requirements are more or less the same depending on, on weight and, and size of the rider 
with with that uh with, with the yeah the system that we use it's um it's very much an opt-in system so um we don't know riders are ever told or given like you're doing you know um we call it champ um is the is the name of it so um which is like the acronym kind of works out to carbohydrate manipulation protocol um nice. <laughs> one of the coaches came up with it we thought it was a pretty good name actually yeah 100%. Um, yeah so but it's, it's very much like an opt-in process so um like what we've seen is that it, there are each athlete is inherently different in their personality and and how they how they work best is is you know is is entirely unique to them so like there are within the system that we use there are like I guess think of, think of it as different levels of intensity. So you we can prescribe, you know, carbs, proteins, fats, you know, or we can just get someone's like I just want carb recommendations for you know for this block. Or yeah, can you can you you know some some guys like I just want to you know like I like to touch. I just want to check in. Maybe I'll send you some photos of my food for you know for a couple of days. Just tell me if I'm heading in the right direction. So um, yeah, it's it's very much. Uh, it's very much a self-selection thing um but it's, it's been pretty interesting that actually when we first started this a couple of years ago is that we started with one or two riders and they got good results pretty quickly um and then you know people are you know to other riders are like oh hey what, what are you you know what are you what, what's going what on over there you're going well you're performing you pretty well yeah exactly and, it, and it's 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 sort of quite naturally uh, the interest in it quite naturally grew and the the sort of adherence and buy-in from having guys self-select and come to you and and you know they they make the decision to engage or not engage um which is challenging like you do have to sometimes do a bit of salesman stuff to to, to get people on board but yeah the, the, because of the the buy-in it just inherently makes the process um yeah inherently makes the process more successful and 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 kind of more efficient more work efficient um for for the time that, that nikki and i will put into it yeah it's always amazing how some athletes like more hands-on and more information from the from the coach practitioner where some actually if they get too much <clears throat> can cause a bit of anxiety or whatnot they prefer that lighter touch and to your point i mean athletes are people too and it's like all of a sudden they're making decisions because they say well, I'm not too sure about this, but all of a sudden the teammate starts really performing well and recovering well. And now all of a sudden they're, they're over asking you questions and they've got that internal motivation and, and, and buying in, as you say there. Um, on that body composition question, in terms of testing, are there, you know, is it DEXA scans ahead of time or at certain points of the season are you using, you know, in the field, you know, calipers, what kind of things might you be using to assess that in your riders? Uh, we just track body weight and where we can we'll do skin folds so um if, if we have a like at a camp if we have a particular target um a rider who yeah wants to wants to lose a bit of weight then we'll what we'll try and do is get um we'll, we'll track weight pretty pretty regularly most most days most riders will track it um again self-selection thing not all riders do that's okay yeah um, but from a yeah from a uh, targeting body composition it'll be get weight get skin folds beginning if it's an extended period we'll do beginning middle and end if it's like a two-week focus block we'll just do beginning and end um and so yeah and that's just a kind of it's kind of a confirmation piece because at, at altitude and if you add on like given the amount of glycogen that these guys can get through like you can see two kilo weight shifts in a day 
yeah. like easy and they're only light guys so you're looking at quite a large relatively large percentage of body weight so the whilst the scales are pretty important and that's what is really important to the to the riders um the calipers is kind of what gives the confirmation around we're heading in the right direction so if you get a reduction in weight and a reduction in skin folds cool then yeah pretty confident you've shifted trending well exactly if you get a reduction in weight and the skin folds are the same depends on if you've been at altitude or not that could be like plasma volume shift like look at the day before like if you so we try and do it off the back of a rest day so you know like if you had six hours of training the day before and then you did it the next morning you'd probably be light on glycogen so is that reflective of a shift in tissue or not um so there's the the calipers just add some nuance around the the function of of the change on the scales 100 and if we actually circle back a bit here sam i'm sure some uh viewers listening in want to know in terms of caloric expenditure you know if we just kind of revisit some of the fundamentals, how are you guys calculating that in order to, to be able to put your finger on how much energy your riders are going to be needing? Yeah. Um, so we use, uh, we use a prediction equation or we use the, the Mifflin and Jour equation for predicting resting metabolic rate. Um, it seems to work pretty well with it, with our group of guys. Um, we're very lucky in that cycling um, has, we have power meters. So we have a direct measure of, of, um yeah which which makes our job significantly easier than than trying to do this like basketball (laughs) yeah i was was just trying to think of some sports where it'd be horrendous to do it like nfl would come to mind or rugby or collisions and uh any yeah any of the collision-based sports would be just a nightmare to do this so i'm glad we have um yeah we have nice nice easy ways to collect the data um and then depending on yeah where they're at race or um in training camp we use like a different um, physical activity level so like we use a, a, a percentage of resting metabolic rate to mm-hmm. equate the energy from walking around and doing non non on bike stuff um and then yeah we we take um we take a, a measure of thermic effect of food um because particularly with our guys that be high when you're consuming that much food too yeah, right <laughs> pretty high yeah so i i was trying to go for a run like every few days when i was on the tour and I could go and do 5k or something, you know, we had some spare time and like I'd burn like, I don't know, like four, four, 500 K cal, whatever. Yeah. And actually the guys burn more calories digesting their food than you than do on your do run. Exercising. <laughs> like wow. it's insane when That's you think about it. Mind blowing. Yeah. So like when you, when you talk about like food sweats, you're like, well, that actually completely makes sense. Cause you did yeah. like, you're, you're like i'm not surprised that you guys are running hot if you're yeah you're eating six thousand calories exactly yeah and you know if we touch on you touched about altitude here and we'll bring it back to nikki here in one sec when we talk about that altitude what are some of the considerations that you've got to think about when you're when you're going into some of these mountain stages um you know whether it's sweat rates whether you know oxygen levels can you walk us through that yeah i i guess the most of most of the guys spend uh, spend a good amount of time at altitude during the year anyway quite quite a few of them live um live fairly high or at least have have a you know have have somewhere they good go strategy so, yeah <laughs> um in terms of just i guess at races we have quite a focus on making sure we can deliver um good um good nutrition products so we, we make sure we have plenty of hydration options 
um, at the base or, or towards the, the ideally both the base and the top of a climb um, depends where on the stage that is and the sort of topography will depend on what we give whether it's like a we put gels on the car bottles we give uh, you know more a more carbohydrate dense drink or whether we you know it's just a electrolyte solution on the based on the temperature so um th there are a few different ways to to kind of really think about it um but it's that's more to do with uh, i guess the how the team sets up its preparation for the day um more so than like air specifically talking to an athlete in the morning and saying okay we need to think about this you know we yeah it's what i said more often so um yeah i guess a lot of the guys um some of the guys don't do that much altitude work in training because they just don't respond that well to it um, gotcha. that, that's kind of a function of i think that's a function of the athlete and the coach learning what, what works really well for them so but it's always good to those first few days when you're when you're adapting keep an eye on your hydration levels um if you're really high you might get real weird altitude dreams that's definitely a thing um <laughs> so yeah don't don't be too don't be too upset. don't be alarmed yeah don't be alarmed and and yeah we we try not to run any big energy deficits in that sort of first few days of of just acclimatization really just to not put any undue stress on um on the body while it's adapting I was going to say, obviously, those big mountain stages from a muscular standpoint, a lot of recovery going on there. So, you know, over to you, Nikki, in terms of, again, um, in terms of the volume of food. I mean, you've, you've sort of walked us through some of the strategies there before, but what are some of the things that you're thinking about on that recovery side and is supplementation become part of, you know, more of a focus there? Um, again, with the with the recovery, um, my job is pretty simple with the recovery. I'm, I'm just you know, providing a, a bit of food, um, mm. where Sam is, Sam is the one who's doing all the, all the other fancy stuff around that. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we do, um, like we do, we have a, we sort of separate out the, like the foods that you guys would provide, um, at certain meals. Like we, we differentiate like different days. So, yeah. um, yeah, there is there. I mean, just, just, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like, like Sam said, you know, we sort of make sure that um, red meats and, and those types of foods are not served the day before big climbs. Um, and in, in general, we try to keep it less fiber dense um, in, in those days uh, leading up to it. We don't have many riders who will do a you know, specific uh, low fiber diet, um, but we sort of think about, you know, not serving up too many high fiber foods uh, days before and, and try to keep the, the weight down and make sure they don't gain any extra weight at least uh, just from undigested fibers and then yeah, I, was gonna, I was gonna say for listeners uh, you know is that is that the main reason there then in terms of just the added weight in terms of adopting that low fiber diet from from what i know and what i've been told uh, that that would be the the main thing obviously in the recovery phase um foods that are high in fiber also tend to be less dense so that's why we try to avoid those foods in, in the recovery phase uh, and fibers are just slower to digest compared yeah. to you know, simple simple sugars fill you up um, too much yeah um but and around the, the meal times some riders just they just feel like they need their fibers um i yeah. guess just from from a gut point of view they actually feel it when they go lower in fiber so we have riders that will eat high amounts of vegetables every day just to make sure that they have a good gut function and yeah. that they sort of 
make sure that the the gut is still running deep. somewhat normally. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, I mean, I for our big guys, it doesn't make any difference if they are keto heavier on the day. Uh, it would make a big difference though if they're constipated or have any gut issues. So sort of need to find that balance. Is it is it worth it putting you know a race at risk just to gain that extra? Yeah, technically is correct, but actually in in real life is causing some distress in terms of how they're yeah. feeling and operating. Um, yeah, great and point. I mean, for, for a one day race, you could probably get through, but when you have to do twenty one stages, <laughs> a different story. And, the, and then equally, the reverse of that is we, we try and often make operational on, on kind of rest days. So, yeah, foods that are uh, foods that are less nutrient or less uh, less energy dense, again, just to create that, replicate that big volume of food or bigger volume of food, but with significantly less calories in it, um, just because obviously the, the, the expenditure on, on, on rest days is significantly less. And Again, like it's something that, that's mirrored in the in the food that the chefs all provide. So um, move from pastas to like couscous or quinoas or, um, you know, that kind of stuff and yeah. salads and vegetables. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's a yeah, it's trying to trying to keep uh, keep people happy. As you say, everyone's human. Yeah, it's always interesting with the, you know, the size of the meal. Sometimes, obviously, people just think that uh, the plate's full and there's going to be a lot of calories. And of course, to what you're saying here, we can shift some of those really dense carbohydrates to lesser dense ones. And all of a sudden, the plate can still be nice and full for, for the riders and athletes. But we're really, you know, you're changing the carbohydrates and the energy quite significantly. And, um, and I, I don't want to respect your time here, guys. Before we wrap up on the, on the supplement side of things, when we're getting into a tour and towards the end of a tour, or maybe obviously throughout, you know, are there different strategies that come in from a recovery standpoint with supplementation or are we staying consistent with what riders are used to, you know, throughout their season? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, certainly from like a recovery perspective, um, I guess the only thing we probably add in race is maybe something like, um, like a cherry, a cherry juice, um, you know, get some of those, um, get some of the, the sort of polyphenol components and, mm-hmm. Um, just as a, um, just as a, you know, look, it's, it's certainly not going to help and and it, it, it might do, you know, it might do some good from a recovery perspective. So, um, yeah, something, something like that, I guess would be the only kind of major addition I can think of, um, for, yeah, from a supplement perspective, it's, 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 we try and take a pretty simple approach in, in my opinion. Um, and you know, it's, it's very much things like, a multivitamin most of the guys will take um some of the guys will take kind of l-carnitine um in the in the build-up to and and throughout a tour um again that's kind of a personal preference piece um quite often the guys will have done a beta alanine load uh coming in um nitrates around tts um some vitamin d um in race some caffeine um nothing nothing too crazy i don't think um we, we try to well we, we we try to operate on a on quite an evidence-based approach so yeah um yeah which is yeah which does sort of uh, does keep the number of supplements um down to an extent so for sure um, yeah there, there are there are riders who kind of show up with their own things and you know do do their own stuff and and you know that's i think that's just that's the that's the great thing about having a, a wide variety of nationalities and personalities and um, approaches to 
you know, there are some guys who are supplement super, super supplement heavy and some who are pretty light touch. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a personal preference thing, I think. I was going to say as well, when you have different countries involved, it's always interesting because you can get a sense of the supplements in various, you know, your own country or, you know, whatnot, but then all of a sudden you start expanding out to five, six, seven, eight different countries. It gets tough to keep track of everything. And, um, you know, when you get an athlete who's on taking a lot of various supplements, I mean, what's the protocol there in terms of how do you, how do you address that with them? Cause I know this is a question I get a lot from practitioners around, you know, they might be taking a lot of supplements some of them evidence-based and effective, some of them, you know, not harmful and, and clean. And then, so it becomes this question of, you know, do we just let them take it because they're used to it and they feel like they get a difference from it? You know, how do can you talk us through how you might um, deal with that with, with athletes? Yeah. I mean, uh, look, certainly from my perspective, it's, it's very much a case of uh, as long as, as long as it's not, uh, well, as long as a supplement is not doing harm, if, uh, if an athlete has brought it and they buy into it or it makes them feel good, as long as it's not doing harm and is obviously, obviously, you know, free of banned substances, ideally, yeah. it, it, personal, personally for me, uh, a supplement would always be informed sport tested. That's, um, that's my opinion. Again, that, that opinion varies significantly based on the cultural background and cultural prefix. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that can be challenging but um it is something you you sometimes have to navigate um and as long as they're not you know um sometimes generally speaking if a, a recommended dose is one cyclist will take five <laughs> five um so that Most sometimes can be yeah you're like are you not sleeping well maybe don't have seven grams of taurine today then um you know like there, there can be some some nuanced stuff just around like managing uh yeah like managing some some dosage stuff just because if one's recommended well two must be better and five is definitely going to be better so um you know there's that's quite often the the biggest one is more just i'm not saying don't take it but you know fine tune here a little bit yeah yeah here's why you you're not feeling great or you've had some stomach problems or you're not sleeping well or you know um just kind of pair it back a little bit and that that's the most common one i think I think a, a point in that sense also cycling is a bit special because we actually don't have our athletes coming to training at mm-hmm. the same place every mm-hmm. day. So uh, you, you can actually go a whole season without seeing some of the athletes. You obviously have a contact uh, yep. on mail, phone or something like that. Remote but just because we just, like, we're sort of spread out everywhere and a lot of the riders will train with other people and then you know it's sort of like oh i'm taking this and then they see this guy he's flying Doing and, well, training, yeah. and then all of a sudden they're taking it too so it's it's one of those things in cycling because people are not based in the same place and seeing each other on a daily basis it, it can be very hard to control those things and actually influence people or making sure people are not influenced by other people who have the the wrong ideas yeah, so true. So true. And uh, guys, if we circle back to the beginning here and talk a bit about mindset and of course, you know, you alluded to it, Sam, of having a staff, you know, a very multicultural staff that can bring a lot of different viewpoints uh, and, and backgrounds and experience to the whole uh, performance story. Can you talk a bit about that or maybe give us an example of, 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 of throughout a camp or throughout your time with, with the team of how that's really impacted how you guys how you guys operate and how you support your athletes. Yeah, it's a, it's a 
That's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think a, I think a really good example is probably um, actually the like the race foods that we have, the non um, product based race foods, so things like rice cakes, um, like little uh, you know like sweet bruschettas with like Nutella and, and that kind yeah. of stuff. And um, so we have uh, quite, quite a few of our staff are from the the Basque region in in northern Spain there. So. Um, so we quite nice, often have, there. Have, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we quite often have like bass cakes, um, quite a famous little, you know, little tart from, from that region. Um, that, and that's, you know, that's, that's something that, that, that they, they were like, oh, you want something that's small, tasty, easy to, well, you know, here's something that, that we, you know, that we have in our area and, and, and that's come in and, and, you know, they've become quite a sort of quite a stable, um, staple component of the, um, you know, the, of the sort of race foods that are, that are available on, on the bus that aren't, you know, like a, I don't want to say like a proper food, but like a whole food type, yeah. um, type, yeah, type, type piece. So, um, and it, and it's cool when you actually go to, uh, you know, when, when you go to a camp and Nick, Nikki's cooking, like I, I reckon I've done it enough times now that if you gave me like three plates of food that were cooked by Nikki or three plates of food that were cooked by Sean, or Jakob, one of the guys who comes and does some contract work with us, I reckon I'd be able to tell which one was which. Nice. Not, not because they're like, the. it's just like real nuanced little, little stuff. Like, um, you know, the, like Jakob is, is, is also from, from Denmark. And so like when he makes a salad, it's like, you can tell there's like a Scandinavian twist to it. Like you put strawberries in with fennel and some, you know, like some, some kind of cool bits like that. And you're like, oh, actually this, this flavor profile works really well. Whereas, Sean is American and based in Spain. So when he makes a salad, it's, it's, it's very different. It's kind of more Spanish in its orientation. And um, it, there's just like, like little things like that, I think yeah. really bring such value in the diversity of foods and approach. They hit the same fundamental goals, but it's, it's having that, that variance that the guys become exposed to. And, um, you know, then, then they pick up and, um, you know, then they, when they go to another, it's like, oh, hey, you know, uh, Sean made this. Can you, you know, can, you know, can you, can we ask for this? So, and it's, cool. it's cool. Like we have a, we have a WhatsApp group with, with the chefs and, and <laughs> just recipes um, and pictures of food. Yeah, like <laughs> Gets everybody hungry. A lot, good, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good wine goes in there as well. Which I was going to say, yeah. So, um, Antioxidants, right? Exactly. Phytoelectrophenols. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, Nikki you might you, you might have some uh, maybe you better one to ask you that question. No, I like I think you covered it pretty well. Um, you know, it's always hard working with food because everyone thinks they're an expert on food, and everyone <laughs> sort of you know have a you know a relationship or an understanding of food. So everyone have their you know thoughts on what is right and wrong. And, you know, especially, especially when we're coming from that many different countries, you know, the Italians, bike riders, they eat pasta and then that's it. If you're a bike rider, you eat pasta. Yeah. That's the Italian mentality. Whereas, you know, the Spanish people are more towards rice and stuff like that. So it's it's one of those things. It It's very good that we have that many different cultures because they all bring something to the table. But sometimes, you know, everyone thinks they're an expert on food and it can be a bit frustrating when you're like trying to cook for them. I still haven't. Everyone's food is the best. Yeah. Yeah. I still haven't cooked a pasta for an Italian where they would say, no, no, like this is really good. They'll always be like, this is really good. 
but you, <laughs> for someone who's not Italian, <laughs> yeah, it's not Italian. Like it just needs on like what needs to be different. They're like, I think it's the water in Italy. You know, it just makes the pasta taste better, and you're just like, oh. that's a tough one. To be fair, I don't. I, if you eat badly in Italy, that's your fault. Yeah, yeah. True. that's that's the way. That's way. That's what we always say on the team. So one of the sports directors, he he only eats pasta for one month a year, and that's when he's at the Giro. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's cool to see that those creative tensions are great for for creativity and, and the art of the practice. But they can, like it anywhere, they can push over the line a little bit and get into those uh, nice competitive uh, juices flowing. Listen, guys, I appreciate you carving out some time. I know you're both very busy. Um, to wrap things up here, where where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all your fantastic work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For, yeah, for, for me, it's, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I think you basically just need to put in my name, Nikki Strobel, and then I'll show up somehow. Um, yeah, that, that's where we normally, Twitter, we keep more like a bit more text and stuff where Instagram is mostly just food pictures. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Um, Twitter and LinkedIn, probably the best places to best places to find stuff and, and bits and pieces of information so um yeah that's me awesome well, we'll put those links up in the show notes guys appreciate the time and uh take a good rest this summer if you can thanks mark thank you cheers thank you for listening to the performance nutrition podcast for the full video interview as well as key clips from this episode check out our youtube channel performance nutrition podcast also, a quick reminder, the Football Performance Nutrition course is enrolling students this fall for our 2021 fall group. You can save $50 off the price of the course with the code FPN50. Head over to drbubs.com forward slash athletes or athleteevolution.org to book your spot and learn the best in the field. Finally, if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. All that good stuff. It's a massive help to the show. Until next time, take care. The Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcasts.